0: You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in the space, and enjoy this week's sermon. Friends, I want to share with you a poem by uh, the former Poet Laureate of Britain, Carol Ann Duffy who was the first openly lesbian poet laureate of of Great Britain. Hive. All day we leave and arrive at the hive, Concelebrance. The hive is love, what we serve, preserve, avowed in Latin murmurs as we come and go, skydive, freighted with light to where we thrive, us. In time's hum, on history's breath, industrious, identical. There suck we, alchemical, nectar slurred, pollen furred, the world's mantra, us. Our blurry sound along the thousand scented miles to the hive, haven where we unpack our foragers, or heaven stare, drone-eyed for a queen star, or nurse, or build in milky, waxy caves, the hive, alive, us, how we behave. Honeybees, in particular, have fascinated the human imagination for millennia. And along with that fascination and uh, a whole lot of um, projection, um, is a long and fascinating trail of uh, both literature and images of what we imagined bees to be how we imagined that bees arrived or came about and um most of all uh, uh seeing all the qualities oh sorry in them that we wish to see in ourselves because we have that limitless genius for projecting onto others what we wish most for either ourselves or other people to be and so if you, if you look through the archaeological record and through the records of, um, history of art and image making, we see from thousands of years ago, uh, images of people, um, foraging for wild honey up cliff sides and in trees. And we have images of the ancient Egyptians keeping uh, honeybee colonies in, inside clay pipes, <coughs> long to be clay pipes. We see um, in the medieval uh, European periods, people maintaining bee colonies in uh, hollowed out tree trunks or in Poland and uh, many of the uh, Eastern European nations, um, tree hives which are hollowed out but actually mounted up high which is a honeybee's more natural proclivity than to be down towards the ground because then you're away from predators Um, it's led to a lot of ingenuity Um, but the way that we think of beekeeping in a modern sense uh, really isn't very old at all and in the mid 19th century a pastor named uh, Lorenzo Langstroth developed the movable frame hive, which revolutionized the way that human beings um, interacted with honeybees. Generally for maximum profit and not for the bees' particular interests. Um, and I could talk for a long time and. Um, perhaps bore you well to sleep, uh, getting into the weeds with all that. But acknowledging that the European honeybee um, first arrived in North America through uh, explorers um, who brought the very first animals here in perhaps as early as eight or 900. It wasn't until the 17th century that uh, Anglo and um, more uh, Western European um, uh, settlers um, deliberately brought colonies of honeybees with them into uh, North America. And so there are no native honeybees like we think of them. These have all adapted. And there is no way of keeping honeybees um, that isn't somehow interfering with their, with their natures, um, however bene- beneficent we think that it is. Yet our reliance on them cannot be denied as critical pollinators for not just, you know, our, our apple over here that's still on the floor, um, but for a very wide variety of nut crops, Um, and uh, more industrial uh, applications of plant products than just foods. It in fact is uh, more emblematic of our interdependence if we consider how much these insects and other pollinators are essential to our continued well being. And I appreciate the developments of technologies and the ideas of the robot bees. um, Although piles of discarded robot bees laying around everywhere gives me a little pause. But it doesn't change the fact that adopting a technology to replace or to supplement and I'm not anti technology. An organism, a super organism that has such a critical role to play the, in the environment, um, does not release us from our obligations towards a better health, not only of those organisms, of ourselves, but of our planet as a whole. Our situation with pollinators in general, both here and nationally and on a global level that is intimately related with climate change, but also by our dependence on pesticides and um, particular agricultural practices, but also in our, our infrastructures and, and the way that we learn about nature. Um, We can say that we don't need them. But if we eliminate them, either passively or actively, we are dramatically um, commenting on our own value and the value of countless other beings. You say, well, well, that's just inconvenient. Okay, moving on. As a beekeeper, um, it has really radically changed the way that I perceive my own home environment and the way that I do things. Um, I mean, all the way down to which plants that I have blooming at what time and recognizing I could fill my one acre yard with honeybee plants and it wouldn't be sufficient right to to supply all those that are needed in the area that I live in however one of the things that I can do is to educate others and I think that for instance we've taken a very antagonistic approach to pollen like the pollen count is really high pollen is our enemy. Um, It's not our enemy. It's just, it's there. And yes, particularly in the Ohio Valley Basin, we have an overabundance of it due to the wonderful diversity of our tree species for which we should be very thankful. Those flowering trees are a critical food source for our pollinators. Um, So We don't have to like the yellow coating that our cars get, but we can view it as a good indicator that those things are still working, right? When the pollen is spreading, that's a good thing. It's hard not to think about things like in terms of our own uh, convenience or what we have time for or like... I can only absorb so many things in this tiny window of time and energy that I have in my life. I appreciate that lots of times I don't open the newspaper and then I have to catch up on it. Um, And while I've learned to kind of sort through all the fantasies that I've read um, in literature past about uh, the relationships of the organism and um, uh, how they describe this perfect world order or what we should be as religious people. Um, and all the internalizations that we, we make um, based on the stories that we learn, it, it is not too late for us to to unpack those. And it's not too late to recognize, as in those bee colonies, none of us, none of us is the one on whom all things hang. And in our own families, I know sometimes it really feels that way. Or when you're like, you're the one person on call, when that plumbing breaks. Uh, as it did this week, like days before a funeral. (laughs) Um, We are here to help each other. We are here to step in and say, okay, what can I do? I can't fix this, but what can I do for you? For everyone who's felt like, I have been on this committee for 15 years, and is there something else I could be doing? And I feel like, am I failing if I step off of this? Answer is no. Also if you felt a calling towards a career or a path in your life and that changes, it doesn't mean that the calling was untrue. It means that it changes. Not one of these worker bees is like, no, I'm really into wax making. I'm just going to make wax the rest of my life, and it's going to be fantastic. They, I mean, they don't really get a choice. Their Their bodies dictate what roles they play as they develop and come into their fullness. And it's it's hard when I talk about them not to read too much into it, but... They're very Ecclesiastes, like to everything there is a season. There's a season to be a cleaner and to be the undertaker bee that moves the dead bees out of the hive. There's a season to clean out the old cells, because they you can't see it on that freshie, but this old comb gets really thick inside from all the generations of baby bees that have grown up in it. And for all the times that pollen and uh, and nectar and honey have stored up in it, somebody has to clean that out. I mean, they don't get to say, "Oh no, I don't want to get my I don't want to get all six legs dirty." I'll just, you know, I'll just be over here if you need me. They take care of each other because they can't live without each other. The queen can't live without all those other bees taking care of her. Um, The drones can't live without the worker bees. And the truth is that the hive also can't do without the drones. And not just for reproductive purposes, which the drones don't mate with the queen in their own hive anyway. but they seem to have a role that we don't understand, and part of it can be, maybe they just give them a chill vibe. <laughs> You're laughing, and yet, who are those people in your workplace or your school or, or, or the church who are the calm weavers? Who are the ones who just kind of, oh, kind of bring things down a notch? and make it all right. You're like, I don't know why, but I always like, I just feel better after being around that person. That is a great and valuable gift. And that's something that I think we can all strive to develop more inside of us. Bees don't waste anything. I mean, they reuse everything in their hives, so there's no way that those drones are useless creatures me it's just our perception and there's a lot of research being done into that within our own community i think for various reasons in our lives it's really easy to feel like i i just feel like an outsider or i feel like everybody knows something that i don't Um, If you are among us who are neurodivergent, that is a familiar feeling to be like, everybody got an instruction book, and I didn't. And I don't know how to be. I just feel awkward or I make mistakes. And the truth is none of us gets an instruction book. We are all figuring it out as we go along. We're figuring it out from each other. And just like no one of us can, for instance, survive as president of the board for 30 years, we're not meant to. We are meant to, to teach and to raise up and to set each other up for success. Your success is my success. Your contentment is my contentment. Your health is my health. When we all work together towards a collective healing and a collective wisdom and a collective ways of combining our energies and our, and our dedication and our greatest values, is when we can really move things. One be alone can't do it. 60,000 of them, they can get stuff done. We are not 60,000 here. And yet, we are so much more together than we are apart. And all of us are needed. All of us have great value even if we don't feel it, and if we think others can't perceive it. And lots of times we just, we don't know, like, somebody needs to ask of us or be invited or find other ways to bridge, to bridge those states of being. It took me a long time as a beekeeper not to feel like my hive swarming Was a comment on um, my qualities. It felt so personal. I'm like, why? Why? Didn't you like the snacks? Was it the programming? Was I too bossy? I don't know. It's the natural way that they make a new colony, right? And that, okay, doesn't stop me from trying to recover one, but it's. part of who they are they're like right it's time this community will continue and this community is going to lift off literally lift off and start anew we could have what we feel like is is our perfect situation here and it wouldn't be enough if we weren't also connecting with others it's not enough to do it for ourselves And that's the collective, ourselves. That's why to be able to bridge into other relationships, whether they are institutional or personal, towards a collective greater good, towards a collective healing of self, of community, of planet, um, really depends on us being able to step beyond roles that have been assigned to us, or that we've made for ourselves and getting out of those comfort zones, but also into the adventure of we are all in this. It takes all of us. We are all needed. And we are all valuable and loved. And so, and so we engage all the minutiae of the work of loving, and being and changing and fostering the world for justice and equality and equity and compassion. It is not too late, it is not too late and it is time and it's always time. So right here Right now, we start where we are. We can be in the moment, we can look to the future. It was 100 degrees two weeks ago, and it's hard to imagine that in just a few weeks, we'll have our first frost. Both things are true. We work together to prepare and to imagine and to dream and to get things started and to make a little trouble. I wonder where you find yourself in this this hive, this hive right here. But I wonder what else you would like to do or be, or what invitations you are waiting for. What are you hoping to be asked? And what are you longing to do? Or to say? Or to hear? We begin again every time we are together. It's the end of my talk for today. But I hope that you have so much more to tell each other after the service. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, and upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service offerings. We'll see you next week.